You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, today is the first week of a six-week series called Reaching Wider. Reaching Wider. And we're going to be considering how us here as CLM, you know, we've been talking a lot about going deeper and reaching wider since our vision offering last autumn. But we're going to be considering not just how we go deeper, although that continues to be extremely important for us, how we keep going deeper with God in worship, in prayer, in fasting. But we don't just want to keep what he's given us within these four walls. Now, how precious this morning to come into his presence. How precious to worship together. How precious to have all that he's given us. But we don't want to keep it just in here. We want to consider. We want to inspire. We want to provoke us all to reach wider with the goodness, the grace, the love, the power of Jesus Christ to impact and influence many beyond these walls. And I want to begin this morning by sharing a really simple story with you, which is is the first time that I had the privilege and the joy of leading someone to Jesus, of praying with them to invite Jesus Christ to be their Lord. It's a very ordinary story, but as I've called it to mind this week, pretty much every time I've looked over it, it's caused me to want to weep. I've been deeply moved by it. I was only 16 years old. I was in year 12 at school. And although I'd shared my faith in different ways on different occasions, no one had ever really expressed a desire to give their life to Jesus. Perhaps I'd never actually asked it that openly. But when I was in year 12, there were some girls in the year above me at school. And with some help from Youth for Christ in Birmingham, they planned a mission week in our school. So there were a number of different activities going on through the week. It was mainly the guys from Youth for Christ in our break times and lunch times in the common rooms and the communal areas doing crazy things to draw a crowd and then inviting conversation about Jesus and about faith, giving room for people to ask their questions and inviting them to come and to hear a live band at lunchtime on the Friday. And as the week progressed, there became this increasing buzz around the school as to what was going on. And Friday lunchtime came and this band, they were called the Salt Mine Band, they came and they played and they shared the gospel. Now I went to a girls' school in Birmingham, there were about 800 girls who attended. And on that lunchtime, about 200 of them came to the band, to hear the band. And as a 16-year-old from a little Anglican church, I was just blown away. I was impacted that a quarter of my school, after just one week of mission, wanted to come, wanted to hear more about Jesus, wanted to find out something more of what they'd heard. And there was an opportunity at that lunchtime to express the desire to respond to the gospel. They got you to fill in a little card to say that you wanted to do this. And these cards were then given to us, who were other members of the Christian Union so that we could follow up with them the following week. So I was given one of these cards. It had a little name on it. The name, it said Lisa Bartlett. It's a name I'll never forget. And the following week came. The Youth for Christ team had gone. They'd moved on. They were helping someone else, somewhere else, and it was over to us. I just had my card, 
and my name. Lisa was in year eight. It told me the class she was in. So I went and I found the classroom she was in. And I found who she was and I arranged to meet her at break time. It's like, do you still, still want to do this? <laughs> yeah, still want to do this. I've got such a distinct and wonderful memory of sitting with her on a bench outside on a chilly morning so we could get a bit of space and leading her in a simple prayer. The truth was I'd never done it before. I don't think I'd ever been trained to do it. I wasn't at all confident about what I was really meant to be doing, but I did know that she needed to thank Jesus for the cross and needed to invite him into her life. See, she'd heard about Jesus and what he had done for her, and she thought about it, and she wanted to receive what he offered. She wanted to give her life to him. And as a 16-year-old novice, I had the privilege of being there to help her enter in, to help her take hold of the grace of God, to help her respond to Jesus. And the greatest thing that was ever done for her, I got to help her enter in. What a privilege. How crazy in some ways to be given that job, to welcome somebody in. Lisa became a regular attender of the CU. And she remained so all the time that I was there at the school. I, I didn't stay personally in touch with her, but I am in touch with someone who does have contact with her. And I last heard a couple of years ago that she is still following Jesus more than 20 years on. And I fully expect to see her in heaven when my time comes to go there. I'm not, I wasn't, and I'm still not gifted as an evangelist. It's not my primary gift but I was provoked and encouraged and helped by some older girls at my school and enabled to have my first taste of the joy of leading someone to Jesus. The truth is that sharing Jesus never fails to bring me joy. Often it's simply just another little step in someone's journey to faith and someone else may have the privilege of praying with them at some other point, but there's wonderful joy in reaching wider. Wonderful joy in sharing the life-transforming message of the love and the grace of Jesus Christ. And when you're the one who's there at that moment when someone enters in and you're the one who helps them open the door, there's just nothing better in life than sharing this joy. So it brings great joy. And yet, there's a reality that most of us need a bit of encouragement and need a bit of help to do this. I think sometimes we can think this is such an important task that we're a bit afraid of messing it up. Anyone identify with that? Or sometimes we're just afraid. We don't know, we're completely out of control of how people are gonna respond and, and we just are afraid. Sometimes we think people don't wanna hear and they don't wanna know. I would never have thought that a quarter of my school would have come to hear more at the end of that week. So we can sometimes find it's a long time since we last shared about Jesus. Or maybe we've never done so. If that's where you're at, that's okay. But I'm going to challenge and encourage us that that's not where we should stay. Our desire is that over these next six weeks, as a church, we're going to be encouraged, but also going to be equipped, inspired and emboldened to reach wider and to help us to step into this amazing privilege that we have been given. So over the following weeks, we're going to be looking at some of the following subjects. Reaching through witness, looking at what Jesus has done in me and how I can share that with others. Reaching through compassion, 
reaching with the gospel and how we can actually explain easily what Jesus has done, reaching through a generous life, and then we're going to have a final week asking the question, what's stopping you? And so we're beginning this week by looking for a few moments at the call to reach. If you're in a life group, then also over these next six weeks, you'll be using an excellent resource called Talking Jesus, which is just going to help to encourage us to discuss and unpack this further in our groups. And we're so expectant for what God is going to do in us and through us. But this morning, I really want to ask the question and get us to consider the question, why should I reach wider? Why should I do it? Why does it matter? Why is it important? And this morning, really, we're just going to look at two main considerations, although one of them has two parts to it. And the first one is this, so it says A on here. Jesus commands his followers to go. That's the first reason. We'll unpack that and look at that for a few moments. And secondly, or B, Jesus calls his followers to love their neighbor. And if, they, if we are loving of our neighbor, then it's going to mean that we're going to be concerned for their today, firstly. And then also, if we love our neighbor, we're going to be concerned for their eternity. And then we're, so we're simply going to look at those few points. So first up, Jesus commands his followers to go, to go and to reach wider. Let's look together at this verse. It's going to come up on the screen. It's found in Matthew 28, 18 to 20. For some of us, these will be well-known words. These will come up right at the end of Matthew's gospel, the last thing that Matthew records Jesus saying before he ascends into heaven. He says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always even to the very end of the age. The last words Matthew records Jesus saying, therefore go, known as the Great Commission. Jesus commissioning his followers to go. Go make disciples, go reach wider, make disciples of all nations, and critically promising to be with them always as they do so. There's similar words in Mark 16, 15. Mark records Jesus saying, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all nations. If we were to look at what Luke has to say about it, well, at the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, because Luke wrote them both, he's calling his disciples to be witnesses. He says in Luke 24, you're witnesses to all these things. And in Acts 1, verse 8, as Jesus is talking to the disciples, promising them the Holy Spirit who's going to come, He says these words, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses. So the language that Jesus is using at the end of the Gospels, at the beginning of Acts, in between his resurrection and his ascension, is very unambiguous as to what he's asking us to do. He's asking us to go. He's asking us to make disciples, to help others understand his teaching and what they should be doing. He's asking us to preach, to be his witnesses, and to do it everywhere. And I want us to look just for a moment at what the disciples did with what Jesus asked them to do, and for us just to look together and to consider Peter. You know, two weeks ago, we remembered the Easter story, and we all remember Peter 
It's a terrible part he plays in the Easter story, in the courtyard, where three times he's asked, do you know this man? You're with this man. And every time he says, no, 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 I don't know what you mean. And then the cockerel crows and he goes outside and it says he weeps bitterly. This is Peter. And yet then Jesus has died, is raised to life. We get, if you want to read in John 21, we have this wonderful discourse between Jesus and John, as, sorry, as, between Jesus and Peter as Jesus reinstates him. And then we see what happens to Peter. I'm just going to read a few verses here from Acts chapter 2, verse 32 to 41. They're going to come up on the screen. And Peter is talking to a crowd that has gathered because the Holy Spirit's been poured out and there's all kinds of different languages being spoken and people are gathering And Peter says these things. He says, God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. Exalted to the right hand of God, he's received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. I'm just going to skip the next verse for speed. He says, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and Peter and the apostles, and said to Peter and the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. This is Peter, the same Peter, the same Peter who left the courtyard, who'd said, no, no, definitely not, I don't know him. The same Peter, in the same city, standing up, declaring, preaching boldly, speaking, This is the first time we see Peter doing this. But if we were to read on into Acts 3, we'd see a similar pattern as Peter publicly proclaims Jesus. And he publicly identifies himself as a witness. There's no more, I don't know him. He says, this is Jesus and he died and he rose again. And I am a witness. I've seen some stuff. I know some stuff. I can tell you some stuff. Jesus had commanded the disciples to go, to preach, to be witnesses, and Peter took the charge seriously. And here on this first attempt, full of the Holy Spirit, 3,000 people enter in on that day. That's a pretty good first go. I think any of us would be pleased with that. Peter didn't know it would go that way, but Jesus had commanded, and so Peter did it. Friends, not everyone has heard about Jesus yet since that day. Many have, many haven't. Not everyone around your life has heard about Jesus yet. There are many who haven't been told. They haven't even, they have got no idea that God loves them. They have no idea that there is a historical Jesus about whom there are facts that we know that they should respond to. They don't know there are witnesses to Jesus and what he can do in a life. They don't know there's anyone to testify. No one has told them yet. No one has passed the invitation on to them yet. And so friends, 
The job isn't done yet. Peter made a great start as the first responder to the words of Jesus, but there's still a call for witnesses. There's still a call for us to be those who will proclaim Jesus and identify ourselves as witnesses like Peter. So why should we reach wider? Well, first up, because Jesus commands his followers to go. And here is his followers, he commands us to go. Moving on then, Jesus also calls us, his followers, to love our neighbors. We're all probably familiar with the Good Samaritan, that parable where you know there's, there's the guy and he's beaten up and three people walk past and only one of them helps. Jesus told the parable to help people see that they should show mercy to those who need it, love those who need it. And then in Mark 12, verse 30, Jesus gets asked, what is the most important commandment? It's like, if there's one thing I'm going to do, what should it be? And he answers this. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no greater commandment as these. We are called to love our neighbor as ourselves. I'm not for a moment thinking we've all got this nailed. But I think we probably in the room all understand that these were words of Jesus that we can't dispute. Now, I don't know if you've ever considered what it really means to love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, how do you love yourself? This isn't a call to some sort of emotional attachment or sentiment. We love ourselves by respecting ourselves, by caring for ourselves, by protecting, stewarding, nourishing, looking after and attending to our needs. We desire good for ourselves. That's part of loving ourselves. We want the best for ourselves. And if we love our neighbors as ourselves, then we will want this for them too. Bearing this in mind then, that we're wanting, or we're being called to desire for others those things we would desire for ourselves. I want us just to look at some more of the words of Jesus. John 10, chapter 10. In an amazing passage of scripture where John is talking about Jesus' words where he was teaching about being the good shepherd. And Jesus says this. He talks initially about the devil, the enemy. He says, the thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. He says, I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. See, all of us know that there is one at work in the world who undermines, who comes to rob, who comes to steal, who comes to destroy. For our own lives, we know we, wanted to be, we want to be protected. We want to be rescued from that thief. We know for our own lives that we want to have life in all its fullness. We want joy. We want healing. We want wholeness. We want freedom. We want joy. Am I right? We know we want those things for ourselves. But if we're going to love our neighbors as ourselves, then we will also care about them here, now. We're going to care about their today. We're going to care about whether today they've got joy, about whether today they can have healing, about whether today they can find wholeness, about whether today they can be rescued from the thief who is trying to cause carnage in their lives. See, for many of the people around our lives, they live unassisted, unaided. 
Without the comforting help and presence of a savior or his power to help them to overcome sin and its consequences. There's many of us this morning in a moment where we can pray for a miracle. We can flood forward because we know I need help. This is tough. I need my savior to come through for me. The people around our lives, they have nowhere to go. They have nowhere to take that to. They're just living with it. They've got the same battles, the same challenges, the same fears, but nowhere to go with them. I'm sure you all know someone, maybe a neighbor, maybe a friend, a work colleague, someone in your family, someone at the same school or uni, a business acquaintance maybe, but they are in a tough season right now. Maybe they're in the middle of a relationship breakdown or struggling with mental health. Maybe they've been bereaved or there's other stuff going on in their family, but you know it's tough and they don't have Jesus. They don't have his help. They don't have anyone to pray to. See, I know in church, we're not immune to the same struggles, but we have someone to walk with us who the Bible tells us walks closer than a brother. And my experience is that those words are true. Now that is a ringtone. <laughs> if you've got a crazy ringtone, I'm gonna suggest you switch your phone off now. You see, friends, the truth is that when I hit tough times and when I hit tough seasons, and all of us do sometimes, I have somewhere to go. I have someone, capital S, to go to. I have someone to lean on, someone who carries me, one who is there, one who hears my prayers, one who comes through for me, one who is able to make good come out of any terrible situation because he works all things together for good. I have the good shepherd to lead me through. And if I love my neighbor, I will want the same for them. I want them to know him. I want them to have him there in the midst of their trial. In Singapore this week, we were met and driven from the airport by one of their volunteer drivers, a lady called Lydia, a retired member of their church. And we asked her how she came to know Jesus. And she told us that when her children were little, she's got two children, a daughter and a son who are now uh, grown up. But when her son was four or five, he became almost impossible to manage. She wasn't a Christian, the family weren't Christian. She said that teachers and preschool workers were beginning to refuse to work with him because he was so difficult. He was angry and he was violent. And she herself had studied early years education, but she still didn't know what to do and everything she tried made no difference at all. And then a member of staff at the kindergarten that her son went to sat down with her one day and said, I think you need God to help you with this. And she simply invited her to come to her church so that she could find God's help with it. She didn't say any more than that, but she invited her to church. And so Lydia, our driver, went to church. In time, she heard and accepted the gospel. And as she began to follow Jesus and take her children there every week, and they learned about him too, then her son was transformed. He's now much older. He plays drums in the, in the, uh, youth, the youth worship band. Lydia's husband and the wider family, they're not yet followers of Jesus. They're from a Taoist background, a Chinese philosophical religion, but they are all deeply respectful of her faith because they've seen the transformation in her son. 
You see, because one follower of Jesus loved her neighbor enough not to withdraw from the difficulty of the situation, but to say, I think you need God's help. Why don't you come to my church? She didn't say, I can do this. I can sort this out for you. She said, I think you need God. Why don't you come to my church? And so a family begin to walk with Jesus. A mother, a son, a daughter find Jesus. You see, Jesus calls for us to love our neighbors, which means we care about their today. We care about them in the here and now. And the truth is we all know a Lydia, someone with a challenge in their life that they don't have an answer for. And if we love them as our neighbor, we'll want to walk them through. We'll want them to walk through this challenge with a savior. We don't want them to find themselves without his redeeming power, without his presence that so changes our today. We'll want them to have that too. We'll want to reach wider to share with them so they might know and experience them. So if we love our neighbor as ourselves, then we're going to care about them and about their today, and that's going to make us want to reach wider. But also, if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to care about their eternity. Now, I know in our society, we don't talk about eternity very much. It's not on the schedule for discussion. But if we love our neighbor as ourselves, we're going to want them to have eternity, to have life. Let's look perhaps at one of the most well-known verses in the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 16. It says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. One of the great verses that explains to us our salvation. But it goes on to say this, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Then listen to these words. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. But whoever does not believe stand condemned already, because they've not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. Whoever believes shall not perish, but have everlasting life. This is good news, friends. But whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already. Friends, why should we reach wider? Why should we tell others? Because eternal destinies are at stake. Eternal destinies are at stake. The difference between knowing Jesus and not knowing Jesus in eternity is everything. John is helping us in his words here to understand that what we do with Jesus, how we respond to Jesus Christ, will determine what happens to us for eternity. There's two choices, eternal life or condemnation. For those found in Christ, those who have received Christ, the wonderful, glorious promise of eternal life with God. For those who don't, there is the equal promise of condemnation. Now, I wish the Bible was more unequivocal about exactly what condemnation looks like or exactly how long it lasts. 
I do know for certain that eternity is a long time. Eternity is the longest time. And when we consider this subject, we've got to be careful not to say more than the Bible says, but also not to say less than the Bible says. And we must pay careful attention to all the references to eternity and what they could mean and how they could be interpreted. I don't intend to do this comprehensively this morning. But I do want to draw our attention to the fact that Jesus told some parables. You can read them in chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew. And they talk about the end of the age. If you've never read them, can I suggest that you read them? And in those, he talks about those who in some way are not found ready. Those who aren't prepared for the return of Christ. And they find themselves, and I use carefully the language that Jesus uses, shut out in darkness, in a place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, in eternal punishment or killed. This is strong language. Jesus is using strong imagery. He's communicating serious warnings that he wants his hearers to know about. You know, there are those, even within those who consider themselves to be Christian, who've thrown out the idea that anyone at all will face condemnation. They call that universalism. They say everyone in the end will somehow be saved. And whilst that sounds like a really lovely idea... I personally don't find enough substance to back that up in the teaching of Jesus and the wider scriptures. The doctrine of hell has become increasingly unpopular in the last 60 years. Until then, literally for centuries and centuries, the understanding that hell existed was widely accepted and appropriately feared. The belief that hell is real and is the destination for the condemned. And as an Austrian priest famously noted, just because hell is not popular, it doesn't mean it's not populated. Can I say this morning exactly what hell is like? No, I can't answer that. All I can do is piece together the little different comments and things that get said in different pictures and language in the teachers, teaching of Jesus that's reported by the apostles in the Gospels. What is clear is that hell is the destination for the condemned, for those who've not believed in Jesus Christ. None of us want to find ourselves in that place. None of us. If we love our neighbor, then our hearts will be stirred to be equally concerned for their eternity, that they should not be condemned but that they should have eternal life. This doesn't mean we need to go and now try and seek to make people afraid or make some sort of response to Jesus out of fear. But it should give us an urgency and a concern for others, for our neighbors, for their eternity, that we would want to show them how good Jesus is. We would want to proclaim who Jesus is and what he has done, and be a witness to those things to help them to see the reality of who he is and what he offers. Friends, we should reach wider because eternal destinies are at stake, and eternity is a very long time. 
Jesus commands us to go. Jesus calls us to love our neighbors as ourselves, to be concerned for their today, that they would have his presence and help, and to be concerned for their eternity, that they would have life and not condemnation. And as I come in to finish, let me just bring us to the words of Paul to the church in Corinth, 2 Corinthians 5. And he says these words. He says, for Christ's love compels us. Christ's love compels us. He goes in to say, all this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. Friends, Jesus came and found us when we were far off. He came to reconcile us to God and has now entrusted us with the completion of the job of reconciling others to himself. We cannot make people choose Christ. That choice is theirs. But we can talk to them about him. We can reach wider. We can proclaim who he is and what he has done. We can show them to him. We can tell them about him. We can pray for them. And this is reaching wider. Doing what we can in seeking to reconcile others to God out of gratitude, out of joy for what he has done for us, but seeking to bring others in and join us in his house. To not keep the blessing to ourselves, but following Jesus's command to go, to love our neighbor. You know, reaching wider can be done in a thousand different ways and more. I've helped run a toddler group as a young mom to create an intentional community to reach wider and draw others in. As a student, I ran a little group on the corridor where I lived with the resource that a Christian student group had given me to help share Jesus. I remember in that same season inviting all the girls from my course at uni to a student evangelistic event at church. I remember about 14 of my course mates all going through to another room to find out more about Jesus Christ. Two of them gave their lives to Jesus that night. I've brought colleagues to church. I've brought people onto Alpha or a carol service. Sometimes they want to know more, sometimes they don't. I can't control that part. Just recently, I've been seeking to engage with a cashier at Tesco's where I do my weekly shop. I choose their till intentionally each week and I talk a little bit. And last week, Martin and myself we were there together. We were talking to him about the six and encouraging him to come along sometime. A couple of weeks ago, I prayed with my next door neighbor about something that as I've prayed for her, I felt she's been struggling with. She didn't raise the subject. We don't really have an open conversation. We don't speak that often, but I saw her and I brought it up and asked if I could pray with her. It gave me the opportunity to speak into her life that God knows her and that God loves her. She was so grateful. I, I very rarely speak with her, but as I went to walk away, she came to embrace me before I went back in the house. It's just a few faltering ways that I'm having a go at reaching wider. You could add yours into the story. I know there's many expressions in the room, but in this next season, we're gonna find many more. Creative ways to reach wider towards those who can be reconciled to God. 
couple of weeks ago, I prayed here with a lady in church who's making a way back to God after a long time away from him. And as the word had been preached that morning, she'd encountered God. And as I came to pray with her, she said, she just said, I feel like just all the shame has been lifted off me and I, I feel taller. She was a bit overwhelmed. She was emotional because she'd encountered God and he was transforming her with his love and his grace and cleansing her. And friends, we should reach wider because Christ's love compels us. Because God is waiting to reconcile men and women, boys and girls to himself, to lift off their shame, to transform their today with his power and presence and love and grace and to give them eternal life that starts right now. And he's included us in the plan and given us a part to play. So in the next few weeks, we're going to unpack some more of how this can look in our lives. But I want to give us an opportunity to respond here today. And in just a moment, if you are here this morning and you're not yet a Christian, I'll give you an opportunity also. But what I want to encourage us to do is if you know this morning that in this next season, you want to move forward in this area. You want God to give you opportunities. You want Him to give you a greater boldness. You want Him to help you be creative about how to reach people. That simply in this place this morning, you would respond and say, Lord, meet me here in this series and help me to step forward. Help me to become one who reaches wider. And if that's you this morning, I simply want to ask you to stand to your feet right now and respond to Him and say, Lord, I want you to use me in this. And really what we're doing is we're availing ourselves to God. A little bit like Isaiah said, here I am, send me. That actually at the start of this six six weeks, we say, Lord, come and do in me what you want to do in me. Equip me. Inspire me. Provoke me. Give me opportunities. Position yourself to receive as I pray. Father, we thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself in Christ. And you came and found us and you paid the full price. And we say that we're sorry sometimes that we're slow to pass on what you've done for us. But we come and stand before you and simply say, Lord, would you help us? We say, here we are, send us. And in these next few weeks, Holy Spirit, will you so be at work within every one of us? to stir our hearts, to fill us with your spirit and give us the boldness that you gave the disciples at Pentecost, that we will be those who proclaim and those who are witnesses, who share with those around us and help to reconcile them to you. Give us creative ideas and give us opportunities, we pray, that we might be a people who reach wider. Amen. 